Hello, all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Most of the time, we talk about films, but today we're going to switch it up a little bit and discuss the Netflix show, The Queen's Gambit. It has been rated 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has been in the top 10 on Netflix in the U.S. for quite quite a few, quite a long time, actually. And uh, we are going to dive into all the things about the show today. So, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary? Yes. Orphaned at the tender age of nine, prodigious introvert Beth Harmon discovers and masters the game of chess in 1960s USA. But child stardom comes at a price. Child what a summary. stardom comes at a price. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've seen a lot of child stars that become celebrities, and there are a lot of data points to also support that claim. So it's not wrong. Yeah, it, it's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I am so glad, Sarah, that you suggested that we review and talk about the show. It has come up several times in conversations with friends. Lots of people are watching this. Clearly, lots of people are also um, loving this show. So let's start off with our summaries for The Queen's Gambit. Yes, my summary is a show about chess that's not at all about chess. (laughs) very true yes there's lots of other things that i'm sure we will discuss today oh for sure all right my summary is a disguised superhero story meets magical wizardry meets fairy tale chess fairy (laughs) fairy tale (laughs) chess fairy that's amazing you know what? I would watch that show. If there were a chess fairy, like, yeah, I'd watch that. It's funny because we just uh, reviewed From Russia with Love, and we oogled and raved about the very, very short chess scene that happened in that film. And here we are again with seven hours yep. of chess. <laughs> yep, apparently. we. Jen, are you a chess fan? We've never actually talked about chess. We haven't actually. I, growing up, played chess for maybe three or four years. I was part of a chess club. I went and played in chess tournaments. I had a rating. Um, This was all my mother's attempt to get me to think with complex patterns and strategically, which I'm... I hope maybe it helped somehow. Who could say? We don't know the other hypothetical future of how it would have turned out without chess. But it was fun, I will say, to watch her go to these tournaments and also think back to some of those memories of going to chess tournaments um, in my childhood. And so I don't, I don't think about that part of my life too often. Um, it was just you know one, another hobby that I did as a kid. But I found myself thinking back to some of those moments. So this was a good little nostalgia trip uh, igniter for me. How about you? That's that's amazing. I uh, I would like to see if there are any photos of little Jen at a chess <laughs> tournament. I think that that would be great. Um, but I, growing up, I loved chess. Uh, I 
never really got too far into it. Like I would just play with my family. Um, but even as a kid, I loved that idea of, uh, understanding the, the board and being able to think, you know, moves and moves and moves ahead. Um, so it, it always really interested me that game. Uh, I wanted to be a chess prodigy as a child, but I didn't put in the work or any of the time to become one. So, uh, this was really fun to kind of revisit the game cause I haven't played chess in a very long time. So it was, it was nice to see, see the board, see all the pieces and the players again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if there's anything we learn from the show, it's that if you're a prodigy, you don't need to put in the effort. You just show up. No, apparently. Yeah. You just kill everybody on the board <laughs> just with ease. And the other thing is that most of the chess tournaments uh, that I went to as a kid did not look as wonderful and and dreamy and fairy tale like as they did in the show. It was usually a like stinky gymnasium in some high school somewhere with tables set up and you know our family brings a ton of snacks and you're there for like 8 hours and it's long and grueling. So definitely not the like uh fog coming and streaming in through from the sun um perfectly hitting the chessboard at just the right shot. Not the way it's portrayed in this in this show. That's that movie magic for you, you know? Just yeah. making things seem so glamorous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so let's dive into our initial thoughts of The Queen's Gambit. Oh, man. Uh, I did not like The Queen's Gambit. Uh, I, yeah. I did not enjoy it. Um, so I've really been uh, kind of struggling with this because everybody seems to love this show. And there's a lot that's good about it. Like you were saying, Jen, like the 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 set design is absolutely incredible. The the costumes are are beautiful. Like this the show is just full of style. And so like that was really, really great. I just had no desire to follow the story. I didn't want to hang out with the characters. And as much as I love that this whole show is about chess, I didn't care what happened. I didn't care what happened to Beth. I, I just, I did not want to spend any more time in this world as beautiful as it was. So it was such like a slog for me to get through all seven episodes um, normally if there is a short series like this that I absolutely love, I will finish it in like a weekend. Um, and it took me nearly two weeks to get through this show because I did not want to watch it. So, uh, I am the anomaly and I don't love it. Like everybody else <laughs> in the world loves this show. It's always fun when we review things that are, are beloved or that are just iconic or classics and whatnot, because it's fascinating to think about what it is about the show that has indeed captivated so many people and not only that everyone's watching it because, uh, you know, plenty of people watched Tiger King uh, at the beginning of quarantine, but but also that a lot of people really do love the show. I found Beth as a character to be really hard to connect with and because so much of the story 
hinges on us being invested in her and rooting for her, it was hard to to keep the engagement from my end as well because I'm like, I I'm, I don't relate to you and I, I'm not rooting for you other than the fact that like it's cool to see a woman kind of like dominate all these men in a men's world. But beyond that, there's so much that was unlikable about her to me um, that I, it was hard for me to get past that. Um, but on the flip side, I kept wondering, like, is, is it the fact that she is a confident woman who is so great at her craft and masterful at it and able to kind of shake this world that has been established by men? Like, is that inherently exciting to watch? Um, and is that what is, is drawing so many people to love this show? I don't, I was trying to figure out what it was as well, because, Chess inherently isn't a, a um, it's not as big or, or widespread of a hobby as um, it maybe is in other countries or communities. Like in the U.S., um, it's not, it doesn't have that mass appeal the way that other sports do and have um, captivated people's attention. Um, so it's not the, the subject matter, maybe perhaps the novelty of it is exciting and people feel like they're part of this like world that they normally don't get to see. I just kept trying to figure out what it was um, that was captivating and compelling about this show and garnering so much love for it. Yeah. Some of the um, reviews that I've read or listened to, because I wanted to know too, like mm -hmm. I, I was so struggling with this show that I, I wanted to see what everybody else was seeing. And so what I've read and what I've listened to is that the, the production value is one of the things that people have absolutely loved. And I think just the craft of the show, which is really, really impressive. Like, like you were saying, like chess is not glamorous. You know, a lot of people don't know how to play it. So it's, not like there was, you know, millions of people going, we want a show about chess. Yeah. Um, and it's so cerebral. Like it happens all in your mind where you're planning out all of your moves. Mm -hmm. So to make that activity that from the outside could seem boring, to make that exciting in a TV show is really an impressive accomplishment. And so I think from like a, a technical perspective, this show is absolutely incredible. It's full of style. It's beautiful to, to watch. Um, but like you, I really, really struggled with the characters. And I, I like you, I, I was actively rooting against Beth. I wanted her to fail uh, because her failure and then that turn, that redemptive turn would make her character more interesting. Mm -hmm. But because she was just breezing through everything so easily, I was like, okay, I need an obstacle. I need a roadblock. I need you to fail um, so that you might be interesting. And so like the only times that I was truly interested in the show were um, at the end of episode four when she loses and then her mom dies, like that section was so fascinating to me. And I was engaged. And then that was about it. Because <laughs> she rebounded so quickly. And it, it was just, it was boring to me. Yeah, there was a lot of um, story issues that I 
I just couldn't get past with this film, not the film, this TV show. I'm so used to saying film. Um, and the biggest one is that her character lacked the depth that makes characters human to us. She, to me, suffered from the Ray complex, which is that she discovered from early in her life that she was incredibly talented at a thing whether it's the force or it's chess. But there, we didn't see the way that she needed to struggle through the addiction that she, the, the, the show kind of alludes to in a lot of moments, but it never comes to a head to the point where it truly threatens her ability to perform to continue to dominate like we never see those two things collide she and even the the ending moments where she has from what it seems triumphed over her addiction it almost is so it was too easy for her and so like you were mentioning we never see her truly struggle with anything there are these these negative forces in her life and uh, trauma that we see that she has experienced and gone through from a from a young age, the flashbacks to the moments with her her real birth mother and being at the orphanage, but that never collides with her other main mission or her desire, which is to become the greatest chess player. And so, because those two things never come together, it was it was like hard to be invested in either of those two things. Um, we see her struggle with these um, negative forces and with the demons of her past, but they never threaten her future or her current reality the way that I think this this show should have pushed and gone to those places. We kind of uh, skim the very, very light service of them, but never really go there. Yeah, so while I was watching, I kept asking myself... Um, is a character's understanding of the struggle they're facing what makes them important or what makes them interesting? Because Beth, probably similar to Ray, actually, now that you bring that up, also, great job, Star Wars reference, well done. Um, <laughs> neither one of them seemed to be aware of the struggles that they were facing. So like Beth, in her, her chest, she's obviously fighting it against classism and she's fighting against sexism, but she doesn't seem to ever recognize that she, and I think that that is part of the reason why uh, I was more disengaged with her because typically you have your hero who has a problem, but they recognize the problem. And so then when their guide comes in to help them work through it, like, they understand what they're they're fighting through, but instead, in in the Queen's Gambit, we just have her fighting against something, but she's unaware of it. And so, as people are coming in to help her, it's almost like they're just giving unsolicited advice that she doesn't want. Um, and and so I, I just I I it makes me want to go back through and like watch other like think through other films, other TV shows and, and see about how your protagonist understands their own struggles and how that affects how we relate to them as the audience. Cause I think that that 
that lack of awareness of the the forces that she's fighting against made her less interesting. Mm. That makes sense. And and typically there is that that stage where they they have the revelation, which again is another milestone moment that feels like progress that we can as the viewers relate to. It almost reminds me of <laughs> The quality that we often talk about in just human beings in general that is admirable, which is self-awareness. And when perhaps when characters lack that same quality, it's hard for us to invest because it doesn't feel like there's hope that they can they can overcome or that they are aware that they are part of this bigger struggle beyond just what they see in front of them in a very tactical sense. I don't know. It, it's a it's an interesting point that you raise. I'm I'm going to mull, mull over it a little bit. And maybe that goes to the, this concept, like when, when you're making a, a character, like the best characters have a, a physical and emotional and then a philosophical problem that they're fighting against. So like, you know, the whole like good versus evil thing that we see in so many action movies, like that's a philosophical problem that undergirds their you know, immediate problem of, you know, saving whoever they need to save. And so maybe that's one of the issues with this show is that there really wasn't that overarching philosophical problem that she was fighting against. You know, she was just moving through chess tournaments and just wiping the floor with all of these guys. But she, she almost felt aimless. Like she wasn't she was working toward a goal but it almost didn't seem like she was it almost felt like she was just kind of handed it and just kind of like slid right on through um so maybe it was that bigger thing that was missing in this world um that that made her character less interesting I don't know I'm still trying to figure it out too (laughs) that's true I think there there might be some of that we she expresses it here and there and we see moments of her, you know, reading her books and whatnot, but perhaps it wasn't expressed enough or in a way that we as the audience could pick up and register like, okay, this is her desire, which is now to become the best in the world. But at a higher level, you know, I kept waiting for that, like what that, that chess tournament that final chess tournament in against the Russians would have represented, whether it's a triumph over her addiction, which again, there's hints of that. And I think there's the show alludes to that a little bit. So it's not completely devoid of it, but not enough for it to feel satisfying, but perhaps it's the other dimension, which is like the, the fact that she represents the U S and this was um, a triumph over the Russians. I don't know. Like I kept waiting for that bigger meaning to happen and we never really get there. She shows up. She, she has her, uh, army of, of boys that she's rejected, which we'll talk about too. Um, and she triumphs and it, it felt again too easy and didn't feel purposeful enough that that bigger meaning wasn't there. I was waiting for it though. Mm-hmm. Yep, me too. And it, I, we knew, you know, from the start of the show where this was going to go, and there wasn't any 
one scene uh, that made me question that if she was going to triumph in the end or not. You know, it was never, there were never those stakes. There was never that tension. It was always just, oh yeah, whatever. She'll overcome it and she'll win. Like, I think, <laughs> and I, I think that that's one of the things that maybe I, I struggled with is, um, you know, this show wasn't necessarily about her winning a thing or like, I, I don't know, being a chess grandmaster. Like it was, it was very much about just spending time with her. And I think because I didn't care for the character, I, I didn't want to spend time. So, uh, when there wasn't that, you know, overcoming rah, rah, we won. It was like, oh yeah, that's, that's just a letdown for a whole series that I found to be a letdown, you know? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I also felt like I, I never truly knew her. It, it almost like I was, I was watching her uh, do things, sit on a plane, uh, read her book, uh, walk around the streets of whatever city she was in. But I think with a lot of characters, especially on a show where we have a lot more time with them, um, after a couple episodes, they have a characterization or a personality that if you, you know, painted a, a scenario that they were in, I could uh, describe imaginatively like what that character would do knowing what I knew about them. And I never felt like I knew her intimately enough to be able to do that. Um, and so it's almost like I was spending lots of time with her, but also never really entering into her world or there was always a, a wall up that I, I never could pierce through. Um, and perhaps some of that was intentional. Like she was supposed to be a little bit of this enigma or this, um, chess fairy type of, of characterization, larger than life, more talented than us, a genius and, uh, a mystery. But it also made me feel like man, I've been, I've been so invested in spending so much time with you and I still don't feel like I connect with this person yet. And that was hard to keep me invested. I mean, with most shows, you kind of go deeper and deeper and peeling back the layers of their onion and you feel like you know their character, um, not character, the, the, the term for like someone in a story, but they're, they're true, like character deep down intimately. And I never felt like I knew her intimately, but I'm curious what your experience was with her. You know, that's a really good point. Um, because we, we know mm, roughly the same amount of information about her at the last episode, as we know in the first episode. Um, so I, th I think you're right. You know, we didn't really peel back the onion of this character. And I do think that some of that was, um, was intentional. You know, a lot of the, the genius characters that we see are, they're, they're not as accessible. And I think especially if she's, she's introverted, she's so young, she came from this, um, incredibly traumatizing background. So like, I can see how that wall really plays into her character as a whole. Um, but I think you're right. They could have done more to show us little glimpses, you know, like break little, little holes in that wall. So we could get to her. Um, 
And like while I was watching, I kept thinking, because um, I love the genius character. Like they're always my favorite. Yes. So I was I thinking was, of you so much um, on yeah. what your thoughts would be on this this particular genius character because you you do love that archetype. So I was having such like a like a conscience of like conscious of character. Like who am I? What is going on? Why don't I like this genius character? Which probably says like. <laughs> I'm way too invested in movies and characters, but whatever. We can talk about that another time. <laughs> um, but I think that she, you're right, she was so much more inaccessible than the other genius characters um, that we've seen. I also do think, though, that in in these other films with other genius characters, they tended, at least some point throughout the film, they were aware of their own struggles. And more than that, their struggles alienated them from other people. And then that causes them to look at their own lives and decide which path they're going to take. And she never really had that. Like, yes, she was aware of her addiction. And like, by the end, she does make that turn towards sobriety, which I'm like, yes, that's great. Love that. Um, but I don't know that her her struggles with addiction, her, um, I don't know, unpleasant demeanor really ever created any relational uh, tension with any character because they all were for her. They were all rooting for her. Even her rivals, even those she beat, even those she treated poorly, yeah. they were all supporting her. So there was never any consequence for her negative behavior so I think that also plays into why we just didn't like her. That's probably very accurate because there was this – and I don't know if this is just me and my lens coloring how I'm interpreting her. But there felt like this almost sense of entitlement or like she can do whatever she wants. And I think it's especially irked me when um, so many of her boy posse whom – like was was really helping and trying to support her. She would kind of throw around or play with her emotions a little bit. Like I didn't feel like she deserved the respect that they continued to give her and the support that they continued to give her. And so that irked me a little bit about her and probably, again, alienated her from me and why it was hard for me to continue to watch her. But there was just a sense of like she knew she was good at what she did um, and she could do whatever she wanted. Okay, so let's talk about the boy posse. Oh my gosh. That's incredible, and they will forevermore be termed the boy posse. That's perfect. <laughs> um, how did you feel about the boy posse? What are your thoughts on them? I have so many thoughts about them. Ooh, uh, yes, I want to hear all of them. <laughs> it was fascinating to me that so many of them were romantically interested in her and she rejected every single one of them and they all banded together to continue to support her like what I mean every every single one of them I think was was romantically interested in her and she kind of brushed them aside and yet they continued to root for her support her continue to pursue and reach out to her just as a human being and care for her um, through kind of her darker moments. I just, I struggled with the addition of them 
especially towards the end of the film because I feel like it continues to perpetuate this idea that um, that love or the attention of males or whatnot is um, almost what helped get her through that that dark time and and pushed her through to this moment of triumph. Um, it's not a inherently bad uh, storyline um, in and of itself, but I think we've seen that over and over and over again in films and shows, and I think it just reinforces a, a negative mentality and a negative um, view on the role of romantic love in and the role that it plays in us pursuing our dreams. Like, why couldn't she just be a badass lady going after what she wants? Um, what I do th think was uh, an interesting, maybe other interpretation of it, and um, I liked this interpretation, so uh, I'm gonna also accept it as well, which is that there was there's a healing role that a community of people can play in our lives. And in this case, it happens to be her boy posse. But in general, I think the show constantly shows this, um, the demons of her past that continue to haunt her, the, the complicated relationship she had with her birth mother and the intention her birth mother had um, in, in letting her go or, you know, the, the relationship even that she had with her adopted mother and almost the capitalistic way that she was using uh, Beth to be able to support them as a family. There's just this lack of care and intimacy and love that she never really experienced fully and was the source of a lot of pain. And it was really wonderful to see the way that community and support systems um, have this healing power and can fill gaps that maybe family and and uh, childhood pains leave behind. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to just accept that interpretation, uh, but I still have problems with the, the fact that it was her boy posse. <laughs> what were your thoughts about her men? Her men. Um, I, you know what? I like your your uh, community healing uh, hypothesis. I, I think that's really, really nice. Um, that never occurred to me while watching. Um, so what I, of course, did was I put myself into the mind as best as I could of these teenage young men, uh, chess boy posse people. And I'm just going, okay, I played chess. This girl, who is pretty arrogant, just wiped me out. Like she, she slaughtered me on the chessboard. I don't know that I would be super inclined to go, you know what? I'm going to help you. I'm going to root for you. And maybe I'm just like not as <laughs> magnanimous or kind as these people are. That's entirely possible. Maybe elite chess players are really, really kind, magnanimous people. I don't know. But I just, I so struggled to believe that all of these guys who had lost badly to her, some of whom were then rejected romantically, as you brought up, would just be like, oh yeah, I'm going to continue to try and help you. Like, 
I just, I got to call BS on that one. And so like, while I was watching and we get to like the Russia portion, then I was like, okay, maybe this really is that like patriotic, like, okay, I, I might not like you, but it's like, it's like the Olympics and it's like, okay, USA, yes, we can do it. But then even when she beat the, these Russian men who have devoted their entire lives to the game of chess, she beats them fairly easily. And they're just overjoyed and like so pleased and so proud of her. Like, I just, I really, really struggled because I don't think that people are that kind. I don't <laughs> think that people lose that well. I just, maybe I'm too cynical. I don't know. But I, I really, really struggled with all these people who lost to her just being so for her. This is why it's a fairy tale. It's because yes. everyone yes, it is, is nice. <laughs> <laughs> and they just love the game of chess. I think there is yeah. probably like, maybe they were, they were dramatizing the fact that when you meet someone who's kind of a kindred spirit at this craft and is is so impressive. You're just in awe of someone who has mastered the craft and can put your ego aside. But I I think in general, the human ego is a very powerful thing and it probably takes us some time to get to the, the point of appreciation of someone else being able to master the craft that we too are trying to master as well. See, Jen, we didn't know that we were watching a Disney movie. Like, Maybe that would have solved all of our problems. If we realized going into it that this was a fairy tale, then maybe we would have liked it too. I don't know. Yeah, we needed the the castle with the river in front and the little fireworks at the beginning to really just put us in the right mindset. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anything goes. Something else that I think is somewhat related to the boy posse, but also Beth's relationship to um, Jolene is kind of the way that I think the show suggests that they those things were enough for her to triumph over her addiction. And perhaps the, the, the show just didn't want to go go that far and insinuate that she just genuinely had a really real problem. But it felt a little bit, again, overly optimistic and a little fairy tale esque that she would be able to overcome this addiction that has honestly started and stemmed from when she was the age of nine showing up at the orphanage. Um, and for her to be able to kick it that quickly felt, again, unrealistic to me. And so it's hard for me to really see that she had triumph over this, this big struggle that she's gone through. I just, I don't, I think it, the show's portrayal of addiction is probably like a little overly simplistic, um, both in the effects of it, but also in the triumph over addiction. I just found it hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. And while I, I, did appreciate that they they did center so much on addiction and that was the the character flaw that they chose to give her um I think you're right I I wonder if we were to kind of like restructure the story and make her her 
um, make her losing in episode four actually move that ahead in the storyline. So then she has more time to grapple with the fallout of her of her addiction. And um, maybe then that would have been more more interesting. And then because we see that humility in her or that struggle in her, then maybe we would have been rooting for her more toward the end. Um, like I did appreciate that that she made it clear, like, you know, if if Jolene didn't arrive at her house when she did, that Beth would have been, you know, just in bed with a bottle of wine, just going to town. So like I I liked that she voiced those things, but you're right. It didn't feel um it didn't feel real. It didn't feel like an honest struggle. And I still don't feel like she ever reached rock bottom. Uh, it just kind of felt like, oh, she she hit a rough patch and just chose to, to continue on with her life as opposed to truly, truly, truly hitting that rock bottom and making the intentional choice to better her life. And what's interesting is that I think it was episode six or though the scene, the moment where she is in Paris and the, um, uh, what do you call it? The episode title image is her surrounded by pills. She looks disheveled. And I think the description of that episode is like a wild night out in Paris leads to blah, 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 blah. And so... I was fully prepared to see her hit rock bottom in that episode. But we, we again, never, the, the show never takes us there fully. We see that she goes out when she wasn't supposed to. She has a drink or two. And then it cuts to the next uh, scene, which is her kind of frantically getting ready. But again, she still makes it on time, just in the nick of time, fairy tale esque um, to her match with Borgorov. So, again, no real stakes and no real implications from what is supposedly her very, very tame rock bottom where she just woke up late. So I, I was yeah. almost, like, yeah. primed for us to, again, receive that rock bottom from the description of the episode and the image used, and we very much graced the surface of it. And so during that episode, what I was thinking is – would it have been more interesting? And I, I don't know if it would be more interesting. So please tell me your thoughts. But if she hadn't just like woken up late and gotten there in the nick of time and like played hungover, but she had woken up so late that she had like missed the match and like she had forfeited because she was so drunk. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder if that would have been more interesting um, because like it, it appeared as though she it appeared as though it wasn't a complete blowout in that match obviously she was going to lose but i don't know if that that her frantically getting ready her running downstairs and then like entering like an empty room or something or like they're like cleaning up mm -hmm. and that shame that she might have felt from actually missing it like she didn't even have a chance to play i wonder if that would have been more interesting and more powerful for that character. Yeah, because if we were asked the question, at what point from episode one to episode seven or eight 
does Beth's addiction ever interfere with her chess? I don't think I can really name a moment other than episode six where she shows up a little bit late and she plays the match um, hungover. There's no other moment where her struggles actually interfere with what her desires are. I'm trying to think yeah. if there's any other ones. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, they never it, intersect. It never really impaired her. In fact, it almost seemed like she did better when she was yeah. drunk or on on the pills like she would take the the tranquilizers before her matches so mm-hmm. it almost seemed like it was like her her superpower or something mm-hmm. yeah that was a by episode three i was like this feels like a problematic message like hey <laughs> take these and you'll do so good on your matches or whatever yeah, endeavor you're trying to do like um <laughs> I hope we debunked this by the end yeah. of the show. <laughs> it makes your brain work real well, guys. <laughs> Go for it. Isn't it great? Yeah. No, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's learn from her mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. So if we were to plot her trajectory, we generally see a linear trend. There's never really a lot of up and down. It's kind of this steady uphill progress towards this final match where she gets to defeat the reigning grandmaster of the entire world um we have a little blip along the way in paris um some little blips where she i think shows up a a little bit late to a photo shoot related to the chess um for a chess magazine or something like that but it's a pretty steady uphill trajectory which is inherently not as interesting and real life is not like that either. <laughs> no, definitely mm-hmm. not. And that would be that'd be pretty boring if it was. Yeah. But so as we're talking about episode number six, where she's late for the match, I found it so interesting that it was footage from that scene that we saw in episode one mm-hmm. that kind of started off this whole journey. And I'm, I'm still not sure why, you know, like typically like when you start off, you know, introducing the character as an adult and then you flash back for their whole journey about how they got there, it's like leading them up to this like great moment. And instead it just led us up to this, this moment, which I'm assuming was supposed to be her quote unquote rock bottom that didn't really work. So I think that that even that flash forward than telling the story in flashbacks thing wasn't as successful because the, the impact of that scene wasn't as strong as it could have been. Yeah, that's true. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because again, there were no stakes to that scene. Not in a, not in a way that it's significant enough to highlight. I think the, the like, purpose it might have served uh vaguely for me is that as you see her going through her childhood you see that it's beginning to set her up to have this um problematic dependency on substances and on alcohol and things like that so you kind of you see her later in life struggle assumingly with that and then uh where the roots of that are but that only would work if 
her dependence and her addiction actually caused problems with her, which again, we just talked about doesn't. And so it's not powerful enough. And I'm curious if it worked for other people, like if they felt like those stakes were enough to see her struggle the way that we did um, with the level of stakes that we did. Like maybe that was enough for some people. Um, but it almost felt like the writers of this character were like, they loved her too much to really put her through anything uh, truly uh, world-shattering for, for her to then rebuild. They almost loved her too much. Man, you gotta gotta kill your darlings, you know? That is a writing principle that is important for a reason. Um, so we talked about Beth. We talked about her boy posse. Gosh, still a great name. And then there are a few other characters that are instrumental to Beth's uh, journey, her story, her character. So what did you think about Jolene and what did you think about Alma? Do you have strong feelings about either one of those? Mm, interesting. Um, with Jolene, I felt like, it, well, this is another critique I have in general, which is contributing to the kind of unrealistic fairy tale-like nature of the story, which is that she almost is like this ethereal being that showed up on her doorstep at just the right moment when she needed her uh, towards the end of the show, which I feel like, again, is not, very realistic and um from a story perspective could there have been a better way to have this character reintroduced back into the story because there are several episodes where we don't see her again um so that was that felt you know a little disney-like a little constructed from my perspective and i think jolene for me also represents what the boy posse represents which is just the the way that other people in your life can become support systems, can fill voids that uh, did create a lot of pain for you, but they are able to um, heal a little bit of those wounds and kind of root, root for you. And so to, in my mind, Jolene and Boy Posse like equal the same thing in my head. But what were your thoughts on her? Yeah, I, I really liked Jolene, and I wanted so much more of her. And uh, when she showed back up and was kind of talking about her life and all that she had gone through, I was thinking to myself, like, oh, yeah, I would rather watch that show than the one that I'm watching. Like, I was more <laughs> interested in her it, walking through all of that. Like, mm -hmm. that's that's cool. Like, yeah, you go be a paralegal. You save up for law school. Yeah, I'm I'm here for that. Um, and I love, uh, the line that she says, cause when, when she agrees to give Beth the money and Beth is like, oh, you're my guardian angel. Jolene says, mm -hmm. I am not your guardian angel. I am not here to save you. And I was like, yes, this is yes. so, so good. And so I, I think that that character of Jolene was really done a disservice because we didn't see a lot. Ooh, as I lose my voice. <clears throat> But I think that uh, Jolene as a character, we really did a disservice to her because we don't get to see her that much. Like you were saying, mm -hmm. like she just plays this like fairy godmother character. She just waves her little wand and then all is perfect when, 
she really could have been a an instrumental character to this story. And maybe she could have been that one who was kind of like the voice of reason to Beth and could challenge Beth. And maybe the relational tension of Beth's struggle could have been with Jolene mm-hmm. uh, just to make it more interesting and more rich. Interesting. I think that would have would have worked also because they the strength of their bond was was um powerful enough that there if anyone else in her life had called her out on her crap like they there wasn't enough relational currency there to for that to be effective it's almost like you know the people that you love most you know that when they're they are with you at rock bottom but also kind of like calling you up and calling you to higher things like there is a a level of um of uh trust in that and of their intentions in that and there's a a relationship strong enough that they are able to do that and and to call you out of some of the holes that we find ourselves in um and it would have been interesting perhaps to see the succession of boy posse showing up and calling her out and her reacting negatively towards that and being defensive and and whatnot because that is again a very human trait but when this person with relational uh weight comes in perhaps that's the thing that that helps her get up but she needs to fall in the hole first that's the thing (laughs) she never falls Mm -hmm. yep so there there was too much boy posse not enough of jolene and not enough rock bottom. <laughs> All right. I, I think we're yes. getting somewhere, Jen. I think that this is good. It's starting to come together where the pieces of the puzzle are starting mm-hmm. to form a picture. Yep. This is one of those episodes where we just submit our rewrites and revisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which we do often with uh, shows or, or films that we roast. Yep. Apparently, we're really opinionated about these things. Gosh. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, You asked about Alma as well. What were your thoughts on her character? Oh, she was a whole mess. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about her. But the, the glimmer from her that I really, really liked and the connection that I made in my mind, I don't know if the show intended for this to be made, um, was uh, the the connection between the piano and chess. Because in a lot of ways, they are both art, but then they're also both like math and strategy in a way too. So I think that it was kind of beautiful to have these two very different um, things or hobbies or passions kind of happening side by side that share so many similarities that people probably wouldn't see as similar. So I really, I liked that aspect. And I, I did appreciate that, that Alma was kind of a, um, she, she was a version of Beth, um, in 20, 30 years, whatever. So I, I think that she was a, a good character for that kind of like foreshadowing and like, oh, this is where your life could end up. Um, but I think that she was, again, like Jolene, underutilized. And I think that she could have been like a really 
pivotal character in um, maybe helping Beth understand um, the path that she's heading down and then stop and choose a a more healthy way. Um, But instead, all of this great character, all these great pieces about her, a good performance just kind of didn't amount to a whole lot. It's interesting that we are talking about more moments with Jolene, more moments with Alma and them being utilized more effectively and more strategically because I think it connects to one of the things we were talking about earlier, which is that we we found it difficult to understand or to really know who Beth was. And I think it's true that a lot of times we understand and and can see the uh, the character of the people we're watching on on screen through the way that they relate to the people around them and the decisions that they make um, in those interactions. We we get to see a lot that is revealed. And as I'm thinking back to the scenes that make up the episodes of the show, it's a lot of. Um, moments traveling or you know like I there's a lot of scenes where she's on a plane with her mother or they're in a hotel room with her mother and then there's a lot of the chess scenes which obviously are are great and thrilling um but we don't see a lot of those like downtime moments where I think a lot of character defining traits or or little vignettes kind of help us piece together like who a person really is Um, we get a little bit of those in the hotel scenes where she's talking to her mother. We see her mother out, um, dancing with this new guy or whatnot. And, but not, not enough of those to be able to piece together what the relationship was like or, um, who Beth was and who Alma was as well. Like, I think one of the things that I struggled with was to try and figure out and understand what the dynamic of the relationship between, Alma and Beth was I had a vague sense of it but not enough to really put my finger on it yeah yeah that's a good point and so then because we don't fully appreciate or understand the connection between these two then it doesn't make her death as weighty or as important as it maybe could have been um One thing that I did like about her is that she was kind of unknowable like Beth, but just for a different reason. And so that part, in a a lot of ways, I was more interested in Alma than I was in Beth. And so I wanted to know more about her. I wanted to know more about the disappointment that she uh, had experienced and how she had allowed that to shape her life and, and get her so stuck in in the past and um, kind of in this lethargic, almost catatonic state. Like I, I wanted to know her her backstory, um, but I, she just she didn't do a whole lot to to further the po- to further the plot or, like you said, uh, help us understand more about Beth. Yeah, yeah, that's true. She was a she was a fascinating character. I, I feel like I just I didn't fully understand her uh, like you 
and then uh, she passed. And even in that scene where Beth finds out her mother, her mother passed away, you know, those are often incredibly vulnerable moments for humans and for characters on screen and the way that they react whether it's anger or or avoiding the emotions of it like those are so telling and so revealing about who this person is how they deal with pain and grief and I feel like we they the show didn't really tease that out enough Uh, we didn't really see the extent of that perhaps on first glance like Beth is, is relatively stoic about it. She handles her the business of what needs to get done. And so it's like, okay, like she's good at handling those difficult emotions. But I don't feel like we ever see much beyond that or what the breaking point is for that or when things come to a head, when all those emotions that are bottled up really spill out, like what happens then and, and what are the implications of that? We never see that. And so that moment is a pretty big pivotal moment in the show but again doesn't get fully fleshed out enough yeah I I love that she didn't immediately like break down and she wasn't like super duper emotional and I love that her her response was to her addiction like that's where she ran to for comfort and to self-medicate but I really, really wish, again, we're going to come back to the same thing. Like, I wish that she had truly hit rock bottom because there, then she probably would have also grappled with the death of her mother that she had been just avoiding for weeks, months, years, however long that was. So I think her initial reaction was very in character. But you're right. We never saw the... Uh, the end result. We never saw the ramifications of Alma's death in Beth's life, which is a shame. It's to the detriment of the show and the detriment of that character's development. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because I feel like we're talking about all of the pieces and ingredients that are necessary for to have that that moment that then sets in motion the the like final stretch of this. We have this genius character who is constantly winning. And we, we have the moment where I think it was Mr. Scheibel or somebody says like the moment where she faces failure is going to like, that's going to be a tough moment for her because she's so good and she's so used to winning. So we've got this genius character that is so good at what she's doing. Is there anxiety around the moment that she doesn't continue to dominate? We have the death of her mother. We have her addiction. We have the slew of the boy posse that she continually rejects. We have this mounting big chess tournament coming up for her. Like all of these forces together should be the perfect collision for things to blow up, uh, for that big rock bottom to come. But it's almost as if like the puzzle pieces are there, but they never fully fit together, ever combine to give us what we need. Uh, But all the pieces are in fact included in here (laughs) yeah yeah and that's that's really what I've been struggling with is like there is so much that's good about this show but it just it didn't get there you know like like you were saying all of the pieces are there 
they did so good assembling all of these different components. And in the end, the way that they were laid out just didn't work. It wasn't as effective as I think it could have been. Uh, which again, like, is making me wonder, like, people genuinely love this show. And I just, I don't get it. I Maybe we're just watching, like, a different version of the show. I don't know. Is Netflix doing, like, A-B testing and we got, like, version <laughs> B and everybody else got version A? I don't know. Yeah, it's funny because I, I joke to you, like, I'm curious what data and analytics on user behavior Netflix had in order to say, like, yes, let's fund this show about chess in the 1960s. Like, what data do they have? Strong female lead. Okay, I could see how that probably exists somewhere in the analytics of user behavior and watch behavior. But the chess piece is interesting. Um, The 1960s, like, this is a very stylized, very specific type of content. Um, And I'm fascinated by the fact that it is so, so much appealing to the masses. I don't get it. I don't get it quite yet. We haven't figured it out. And- <laughs> no, no, we haven't. And what's interesting is I, I started watching this after I watched uh, the show Killing Eve. And stylistically, they're, they're, fairly similar in some regards like the the color palette is very much the same like both ooze style you know like I feel like every scene is a work of art uh the sets the clothing like all of it is so it's just beautiful and like even the um the text overlays of you know where they are in what year it's very similar between the two shows so I think that we are in a period of time where certain shows are of that same style, which I absolutely love. I think it's gorgeous. Um, But I I think that was fascinating to me. Flipping from Killing Eve, which is a very different type of show, to The Queen's Gambit, and the style is the same, but the substance is very different, was just an interesting experience. So I do wonder how many more shows and series are going to be of this type of style going forward. Well, it's interesting. I feel like um, perhaps seeing a strong female lead shake things up and dominate, perhaps that is what is compelling about the show and enough to carry the, the, the level of viewership that this film, not this film, the show is having. Um, I started watching The Crown which is also like number one on Netflix right now. A ton of people are watching that as well. And it has a lot of the same like stylistic components. It's super moody, uh, but visually like striking and beautiful. It's got this strong female character that is like kind of shaking things up, but also being just a badass. And and perhaps that's the recipe. (laughs) I don't know. I've got two data points. Yeah, and what's funny, it's funny that you bring up The Crown because I've I've started rewatching it purely because I want to see Gillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher in season four. Like, that's the whole reason why I'm watching the show. <laughs> and um, so I'm in season two. I'm just about to finish season two. And I'm, I am also struggling with The Crown. I have been <gasps> oh. struggling to get through the show 
since I started watching it many, many moons ago when it first came out. So like I'll watch a few episodes here and there to try and get through it because everybody loves it. But it's another one that kind of feels like a slog to me, which (sighs) I haven't taken the time to really like dissect why I feel that way. But it's another one that I'm really struggling with. Okay, interesting because I'm watching The Crown and absolutely loving it. So I am in the category of the Netflix viewership that's, yeah, that's here for it. I'm contributing to the fact that it's number one in the U.S. and I love it. So Hmm, hmm, maybe we'll have to do an episode on (laughs) on The Crown. Yes. My reasons for loving it, I don't know if are are the same as others. Alas, we we won't go down that tangent. That'll be a long tangent. <laughs> All right, let's let's add that to our to our future episode list. Yes, indeed. talking about the crown. <laughs> All right, any last things that you wanted to mention about the Queen's Gambit before we wrap up? Uh, yes, I would love to give a shout out to the random college student in some episode. I don't remember which one who decided that he was going to take Russian purely so that he could read Dostoevsky in the original language. I just, I want to give him just a moment of glory because I think that that is fantastic. And if I had a penchant for languages, I would probably do the same thing. (laughs) Again, another very specific detail (laughs) that I'm like, which college guy, when, what episode, (laughs) like... I don't remember. I don't remember which episode. Maybe it was episode four. I don't remember. But <laughs> she she sleeps with him and then like he leaves and she's like alone in his house for an extended period of time. I didn't understand that. But uh, yeah, there's a guy in her Russian class. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, glad that he got his moment of uh, fame, his three minutes of fame. <laughs> Yep, just wanted to give him some recognition. It's great. <laughs> give him some love. <laughs> All right. I have one last little uh, problem with this, which, again, I don't know what it is, but all of the bad story writing is just really irking me. So I'm going to have one more irk to share, which is... Yes, I'm here for it. <laughs> the way that she is introduced to chess... Uh, in episode one as a young child where she happens to take the erasers downstairs and happens to see this man playing chess and happens to just become obsessed with it feels again really unrealistic and constructed to me I felt like that was very forced and could have been done in perhaps a more organic natural way that would more closely reflect the way a child would become captivated by something. Um, There was almost like this instant infatuation with the game um, without having even played it at all. Like from the moment she set eyes on it, it was like the love at first sight moment that we have in like West Side Story. And so I felt like that could have been done better and it probably would have made her, the rest of her trajectory feel a little bit more uh, realistic and less constructed. Just felt very artificial. So Jen, what if Mr. Scheibel was the original chess fairy? fairy oh my and gosh. And he cast a spell on Beth 
to make her enchanted with the game of chess. And then he passed on the chess fairy mantle oh my to gosh. Beth to carry it forward. And he created a special concoction of fairy oh, dust yeah. that he's been working on, which gives you super chess powers. <laughs> Very much like the way Captain Marvel just happens to get these magical powers. She just was blessed. And the reason he was so obsessed with her and had all her newspaper clippings all over his bulletin board was because mm. it was proof that his concoction was, in fact, successful. Wow. And the Russians yep. had already mastered this concoction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this was his new brand. Yes. And so he was just making sure to see if this brand was more powerful than the other yes. chess fairy magic dust. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and unfortunately, Beth just happened to be the lab rat that wandered in. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It wow. makes so much sense. Yep. I, I think we're really onto something here. Yeah. I think, I think this is great. We, we've made a lot of sense out of things that don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. One more plot twist is the, the specific pills that she was getting every day when she lined up yes. was swapped yeah. in by Mr. Scheibel. So it wasn't actually a tranquilizer. It was the fairy potion dust. Yes. Mm. Yep. Had to that be. That was his way of getting it in her. So, oh, okay. So is Mr. Scheibel the villain or <laughs> is he a hero? Oh, interesting. Mm. Well, if you take <laughs> ethics out of it, he is definitely the hero. <laughs> yes, we just ignore the morality of it all. He created <laughs> someone who could defeat the Russians at their own game. Yay for America. <laughs> Maybe that's just the, the theme of the show is America. Yes. yes. American that's the moral. American grit, American perseverance will always triumph. But not even like grit or perseverance. It's American luck. <laughs> yes. I just, it's not even anyway. Oh, all right. It's Yay, USA. Here we go. <laughs> I like it. It all makes sense now. Our entire one-hour episode is now, it, all, it has come to a head. We figured it out. Yeah, we did. We Maybe we missed it. an episode where we get to see that, and that's why everyone loves this, <laughs> and we don't, because we, got, we didn't get that episode. Yeah, yeah, they were in on it. They got the correct setup, and we got the incorrect one, and then we were just bumbling through. Yes, we missed the context entirely. That must be it. Context is key. I'm <laughs> glad we figured it out. All right. Well, this was our review, explanation, uh, mystery debunking episode on uh, The Queen's Gambit. You can watch this on Netflix with the rest of apparently the human population that's also watching The Queen's Gambit. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection as, and is something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our strategic whimsy experiment and we encourage you to find a way to infuse a little whimsy into your day. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. 
drop us a review, letting us know your thoughts on the Queen's Gambit, your theories on um, why this has captivated so many people. Share your thoughts with us. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can always email us at strategicwhimsyexperiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film Hillbilly LG. It was a novel that has now been turned into a film, and we will be reviewing it next week. We hope you guys have an amazing week, and we will see you soon.